Second Star to the Left, a podcast and everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. This week with me is... It's, it's me. It's Andrew. My name is Andrew. Hi. I am joining from the internet, I guess. I am a, a, a long-time film and television professional, but not anymore. I've sort of retired retired that, but yeah, but, but love this movie and know a lot about it, I guess. Uh, Andrew is a diehard Keanu fan. Yes. And the rest of my hosts this week? I'm Bert. I'm Katie. And Chris, unfortunately, has some internet issues. Um, so Katie's hopping in this weekend. Actually, it's going to be a different take than what you all might be accustomed to. Uh, so Katie was planning on taking this week off, but came back. Um, Katie has never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So we're going to talk a little bit about the movie and the plot, and Katie will try to make sense of what is a very charming Keanu Reeves vehicle. Um, and we'll see what we kind of come up with this hour. <laughs> Just to reiterate, as of as of us talking right now and you listening to it, the audience, she has not seen it. So, like, right. yeah, not she didn't so. see it before the podcast. Like, she's, she is not, she's never going to watch it, ever. You can't make her. <laughs> Three men explain a movie to me, the podcast. <laughs> And this is gonna—I mean, I think it's just that it's, watching it would never live up to the experience of having the three of us describe it. I think it's really just, we're sort of spoiling this movie for you. But I just need you to make it as ridiculous as ridiculous as possible, so that I can just be like, absolutely, what the fuck is happening? Once we get to the plot twist at the end, it'll it'll really just blow yeah. your mind. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Now, a motion picture so grand, so magnificent, and so vast. It spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who is Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the Iron Maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together and remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan! Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a story of Ted Theodore Logan and Bill Preston Esquire, who are two high school burnouts who love hair metal, who get caught in a time machine to help them pass their history quiz, or final exam the following day, because if they don't pass it, all of human history will collapse in on itself. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not history. It's the future. That's the thing. Yeah, the future will be worse. The opening of this movie is like a utopian future. That, right. like, literally is George Carlin describing a utopian future in which it's, like, perfect ecological harmony, all, you know, work stresses are gone. This is a, the, a world in which, I think he, right, he describes it as bowling averages are way up, many golf scores are way down, everyone is happy, everyone is living a life of calm leisure, work has been abolished... <laughs> <laughs> it is, I'm, I'm it is communism. To, to use the term, yes. I mean, literally. Luxury space communism. Yes, it's probably not gay space communism, but it's space probably communism. Not. Maybe. This was the 80s, so. Yeah, maybe. I have another correction as well. Um, 
we can't tell if they're burnouts. We know they're slackers. We don't know if they're burnouts right. because for some reason it's never established that they smoke weed. I don't know why because well, they're it's high so... schoolers. It's Reagan's America, you know. I... But they should be smoking weed. Like, come on. They... But I think. But I mean, I think. But I genuinely think maybe you know this might be on in your notes. We might you want to get into this later. But I do <laughs> think that that is part of the the genuine innocence that pervades most of the movie. Sure. I think it's part of the production, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a conservative turn in this film. <laughs> Come on, smoke a doob. They say 69, they can get into 422. Come on. You know? Did they say 69? Oh, yeah. That's oh, yes. the, well, it's we'll their favorite number. Fuck. So there's a point in the movie where, like, the future them, it's one of the paradoxes in the movie, the future them comes back to explain to the past them what to do in the plot. And they're like, oh, if you're us, what what number are we thinking of? They're like, 69, dude. And they're like, oh my god, they do our number. We must, yeah, a guitar we riff. must be us. So they go back in time to collect various historical figures that are going to serve as key aspects for their presentation that they do in front of an auditorium uh, the following day. So they go back in time and they meet up with various historical figures, including Sigmund Freud, Socrates, or the film this is called Socrates. Mm-hmm. Joan of Arc, uh, Beethoven, Beethoven, right? <laughs> Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln, Billy the Kid, Napoleon, two uh, princesses who remain nameless throughout the entire film. They're the babes. Which we we can talk about gender <laughs> in this one quite a bit. Uh, I think that's all of them. Did I name Freud as well? Yeah, yeah. you did twice. Okay, that that's says something about you, I'm sure. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. No, fun, really. As a fun aside note, I can say that I enjoy this movie so much that my cat is literally named Socrates. It's, I think wow, I'm, I'm a fan. I won't get into it yet, but I think one of my favorite. <laughs> it's it's such a. I mean, this movie's full of stupid gags, but one of my favorites is that they call him Socrates and they call Beethoven Beethoven. It just it just <laughs> always bad. works on me. I don't Super know why. Bad. But as far as the plot stuff, I do want to yeah. So the the frame story is important at the beginning, right? Where you know where George Carlin is sort of describing this utopian future, and the the plot isn't so much that you know the, the idea is that their music, their hair metal, at one point in the future, many many years from you know beyond when the film takes place, their music will be so universally beloved that it will unite society and war and poverty somehow and sort of usher in this utopian future. Uh, and because he, because Keanu Reeves is in danger of being sent off to military school, this future utopian society sends George Carlin back in time with a time machine to give them in order to do this presentation. So just just that it's like the most ridiculous possible premise for like giving characters a sort of deus ex machina machine, right? Just like the most contrived contrivance for time travel. Yeah, and weirdly, like usually in a movie when you have like deus ex machinas like that, it's, it's, it's because people are going, this plot doesn't make sense, what's going on? But weirdly, this one doesn't happen until like the very end of the movie. They're like, oh, here's what the plot was about. And you're like, right. oh, okay. I, I thought this was just about their school presentation for some weird reason. <laughs> you can kind of put it together, but it's still like, it's like, oh, this movie had a plot, we swear. <laughs> right I mean, it, and end. it does deliver on it. Yeah, it works. It's just, it's just very odd that like with five minutes left in the movie, they're like, Oh, actually, we did all this to say to to make sure that Utopia happens because of your music. Okay. <laughs> in a charming way, you know, time travel is obviously a trope in science fiction films. It comes up in so many different TV series. It's a common theme in Star Trek, in particular. Um, in this film, how they treat time travel is completely tautological. It's Everything happens because it's supposed to happen. There are characters where, uh, they simply speak, oh, we don't, should not for, or we shouldn't forget to do this thing. And then it instantly happens. From a filmmaking perspective, it's kind of beautiful in the sense of it just cuts out all this like time that you could spend 
going over the mechanics of time travel yeah. and the time they set it up. And it's just like, nope, we want to tell the story. Let's keep it moving. A trash can falls on someone's head. We're moving on. So, yeah, Ted's like Ted's caught by his dad breaking everybody out of prison in a ludicrous situation. And he's just like, oh, remember the trash can to fall on my dad. <laughs> so I guess in the world of the movie, like four days after the movie ends or whenever, it doesn't matter. After the movie ends, they went back in time to put a trash can in the top of the prison area. It doesn't make sense on any on any There's, level, but it's fine. You watch it, it's a gag. Yeah, right? it's like a gag. At the beginning of the movie, his dad can't find his keys, and then at the end, it's because they hid them later, and, you know. <laughs> Primer ripped pays- off this whole, stru- this whole structure. <laughs> the whole view of that's, you know. Primer's basically just Bill and Ted, but about, you know, bigger nerds. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, it's those little artistic moments. So, like, Back to the Future, one of the most common ones that people cite from that one is the Twin Pines Mall at the start of the film. And he goes back in time, runs over a pine tree as he's escaping from the farm. And then if you co- if you look at it at the end of the film, it's Lone Pine Mall. I I don't, yes, but this movie did, did not put as much thought into it. And I think that's because this expressly was not... From what I've read, this was not a science fiction film to begin with. It was kind of just a goofy comedy sketch that the two guys that wrote it did, like with two slacker dudes, and then they made it into, like it kind of out of necessity for what they were trying to do had to be a science fiction movie. And I can kind of tell, because anytime the time travel stuff comes up, they're like, ah, you just say, hey, go back in time and do the thing to fix everything. It's sure. like, it's kind of, it works on a very simple level like you would think it would not work like i i don't know we we spent a lot of time on edge of tomorrow talking about how stuff was like does this make sense and in this movie you're like eh, whatever they they don't let the time travel they don't let the time travel mechanic get in the way of telling the story which uh again is you know something we talk about a lot in this podcast in terms of like creative people and what we can learn from like studying other films is this film the time travel mechanics are a way to put things together that you don't usually see, such as, you know, teenage burnouts in California and Socrates and mash them up together and see what happens. And that's the story. And that's the, what the fun that they want to have with the film. And they don't spend a lot of time just being like, well, how do we get from a to B to C? That's not important. That's not the story that we're trying to tell. What is the story that they're trying to tell? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, so I think it starts. It starts from a place of being a very relatable and realistic, you know, sort of burnout teenage concern, right? Like we have paper due tomorrow, and we haven't <laughs> fucking studied. We haven't done any work. Man, I just I wish we had like a time machine. We could go back and just have done this already. And then like, and then they just sort of do. They just magically do. Like. That's how I spent most of my grad school years. Except I was much more depressed. Right. And not in high school. I'm now I'm imagining a version of this movie where they get the time machine and they're like, "Oh no, wait, we have a time machine, so we can go back in time and do the presentation." And then they're like, "Oh, we already learned everything, and we just magically know it now." And then the movie just like <laughs> it's a fight. They, they, they get on that in in Bogus Journey. They do that one in the second one. That's how they kind of wrap up. Oh, that's right. They do. I forget. Yeah, about that. with the with the learning to play guitar. That's how they. <laughs> Square that circle. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have seen that one again, yes. the good one. But no. I mean, we could talk a little about that. Uh, <laughs> There's no time travel in it. I mean, I, I don't know. Patreon exclusive episode. I don't know, but it, that <laughs> I've seen that more than this movie, which says something probably about me <laughs> as a person. That might be an age, right? I mean, probably. Because the first one's like 88, yeah. I think. Yeah, kind of before my time. I do have a logistics... I do have a time paradox logistics question. Okay, hit us. Okay. So, I was reading... We're a bunch of temporal scientists. I was reading <laughs> trivia about this movie. And it says that Bill and Ted are... Rufus never introduces himself to Bill and Ted. What happens is Rufus is introduced to Bill and Ted by Bill and Ted. From the yeah. future. But how did the future Bill and Ted's just know who he is? Because they were because they were taught 
in the past by the future. How does that make sense? I, I just die every time I think of this. Well, think about this. The future, Rufus has to go back. If Rufus doesn't go back, he doesn't set them on the course for their own future. Like, everything about this film has to happen the way it happens because the way it has to happen. <laughs> if Rufus says the wrong thing, then he doesn't inspire them to go back in time and meet the babes. He doesn't, like, teach them, like, the right way to do things. You're missing my everything... question, though. You're, you're missing my question. Like, okay, Rufus it never says... It linear for someone. Uh-huh. And not just a loop. I get what you're saying. Maybe it was just, like, they were all in the can together. Right. Here, there you go. Now it's canon. But that's not what happened. Like, okay, <laughs> we never, Rufus we never, never said, Rufus. he never says, hello, Bill and Ted, I am Rufus. What happens is, past Bill and Ted are taught by future Bill and Ted, this is Rufus. And then, now they know his name is Rufus because of their own knowledge that they... <laughs> because then they introduce Rufus to themselves. In the so past. confusing. Right. <laughs> it's not confusing at all. No, I think it's pretty direct, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! It's like the keys thing with his dad. Like the key, his dad is missing the keys at the beginning of the movie, and we find out at the end because in the future they moved his keys. Okay, the keys thing did always bother me as a child. Now I, I've just learned to not care. But the Rufus thing really That's bothered okay. me the minute the I saw it. The whole movie is inviting you to not care about the <laughs> yeah. mechanic. Yeah, like so. Do you remember? I'm not sure. Like there used to be a bunch of things like this. Like it would basically be like an animated like Rube. Goldberg sort of machine, right? And then it panned out and you got to see like the bigger and bigger like it went, right? About like these loops that continue on and close and play a part of like the bigger thing. That's Bill and Ted, essentially. It's just one big Rube Goldberg gag. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it just it Oh, it, it's so funny because I feel like so little thought was really put into it that it Correct. and it just happens to work on some insane level, like <laughs> I, mean, I think it works it's, because it's reflected in the like because of that sort of pervasive feeling of sort of innocence and like I don't know they have this sort of noble goal attached to to George Carlin, right? They're sort of like I don't know they're like they're they're just kids. They're kids that are just sort of finding their way and like they will save the world someday. I don't know. It's so sort of doe-eyed in many ways. Yeah. Um, I just mean it work like it works in the sense that like there are time travel movies that probably put in so much effort to make sure there aren't any plot holes and there's still like stuff that doesn't add up. And in this movie like I feel like no thought was put into it and yet it somehow just makes perfect sense. It's so but weird. But that's <laughs> But that's the thing is, you're seeing it as a plot hole rather than a paradox. That's that's the thing. It's not a plot hole. It's just a weird thing to wrap my head around that make. Yeah, and th that's that to me is the fun part about time travel films, is the w when you have the opportunity to introduce these paradoxes, is when it's it, your, your brain. I don't know how to describe it. It's like tasting a flavor. Uh, okay, here you go. Um, you've heard of like, um, are they called like super fruits? Like those things that like change the way your taste buds interpret flavors. No, but that's cool. Go on. Yeah, so, so people will have, the, if you bite into the certain fruit, it will change the way that you interpret certain flavors. So like bitter foods might taste tart or sweet to you, things like that. A paradox to me is like in this film is we want, our brains want to track this plot and make sense of it and be able to follow it logically. And this paradox is just this like weird thing that just changes everything, and you can't get around it, you can't get over it, you can't get under it, and you're just like sitting there, you kind of accept it and let it wash over it's you. It's greatly helped right. by the fact that Bill and Ted do not give a shit, like, at all. Right. They they could not care less. They're just like, uh, whatever, we'll just do it when we do it. And then it just magically works out in their favor. Okay, to be fair, everything in the movie magically works out in their favor. It To the, to the point that it... it goes way past, like, suspension of disbelief, and it's just a comedy thing, so it just works. I, I guess they get away with it on that but fact. Because we, we know it's all going to work out. That's literally the opening monologue of the movie is about how it all works out someday because of the events of the movie. I will say I kind of have some issues with that towards <laughs> the end. At the very, definitely towards the end. Because... Okay, so, like, if you're going to have, like, a utopian... I mean, I know it's goofy and it's a comedy movie. They have a utopian society. But it's definitely, like... 
this is this is Bill and Ted's utopia where they're king. It's just, it's definitely like it feels like a wish fulfillment fantasy for them. It's a wish fulfillment fantasy on multiple levels, like from from the from the very plot inception. You know, as Andrew pointed out, the you know, what if we could take a time travel machine and do this stuff? That's a wish to get into babes. Literally, that's I think that's what really sours it. Is literally it? It gets they're they're problematic from the beginning, but it gets especially bad when Rufus is like, "Hey, I brought you these chicks." Well, he said he rescued them from the they're, two uh-huh. old medieval But it, it's even presented as like, here's your trophies, and then they start, like, <laughs> they, they kiss a bit, and then Rufus is like, mm-hmm, we did this. But it's... they wink at each other in the medieval Europe, so there's, you know, there's some connection there, obviously. It's a very <laughs> deep, deep, emotionally healthy connection between them. <laughs> well, Bert, to go back to your point, though, so if you if you really want to think about a paradox... From the start of the film, Rufus has to be successful because he sent himself back in time. If Bill and Ted were unsuccessful at any point, Rufus would not be able to exist to go back and send himself in time to help them complete their project. Why does he even need the entire to go film back is time. built on paradoxes? I, but I feel like that's every. I mean, there's an extent to which that's every time travel movie. I think. I, I think one of the things that this movie does well is sort of like the. I don't know, this, the almost sort of received knowledge about existing time travel movies. up to, Like, like you don't need to explain the, oh, well, if he's not successful, then he can't send himself back in time, because I've already seen Back to the Future, and I know that his hand is going to start disappearing if he's getting close to not succeeding or something, <laughs> right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, this sort of, well, it's sort of playing with the existing cultural understanding of comedy time travel up to that point. Yeah, that's true. Like, and there are different films to compare this to Back to the Future. Back to the Future is really concerned with the impacts and ripple decisions right. of things that happen. Right. Like uh, Bill and Ted is not. Bill and Ted's like the almost exact opposite in terms of those things. But they're both still comedies telling the story of what's like to be a teenager in America in the 80s. Hmm. Okay. So, yes. So – here, here's the the line I ride with this movie, and I mean I do like this movie. <laughs> the Bert, the Bert disclaimer. I like this movie a lot, actually. But, <laughs> but like, here's the thing: like, half, more than half of the movie is kind of the, a lot of the comedy is at Bill and Ted's expense. Although we're still supposed to like them, and we do. But I mean, like, they're they're dumb. They're they're dumb guys. That's the the gist of the whole thing, right? And. And they kind of comically bumble around into success. But, like, I don't know. They're not, like, paragons of... I I mean, see, the movie kind of tries to have it both ways. Because, like, the thing is, is, is essentially, they get away with being lazy and not caring. And then, at the end, like, they get everything they want. They didn't really do much to earn it. it it's just kind of like like yes this is the utopia we have that that has been created for the the white slacker bros the the yet. white cis male slacker bros heteros that are homophobes <laughs> like, it's just like i don't know i mean i know it's a comedy movie so it's not that crucial but it definitely definitely towards the end it feels like why are they getting like away with everything Shouldn't there be some kind of learned experience somewhere? No. No. no that's later. That <laughs> happens, you know, the utopia well, is 700 years in the future. You know, that's a long way to go. I don't, I don't think it's fair to say they don't learn a lesson. Because the whole end of the film is they have to, they realize that the wish fulfillment, even though it happened, was not satisfactory to get them to what they actually wanted, which was fame and fortune from being um, guitar and musician. You are performers. correct. They have that moment where Ted's like, Ted's like, oh, we we went back in time, but we're still we still are in our crappy band. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, that's something. But then like right after that, Rufus shows up like, oh, here's some babes, and also you're gonna be really successful. Like, it's, I mean, if it was just a pep talk, maybe, but it's like, oh, also I got you these guitars without heads on them that cost like a thousand dollars and. <laughs> It's just like, why do you have to give them everything right at the end? Just have them, like, I don't know. If Rufus didn't give them everything, then they wouldn't have 
become wild stallions. You know what I mean. Why? Why can't they just naturally become wild stallions? I, that's more the journey. Their journey is so intrinsically tied to uh, excellent adventure, and and that's. But they like don't the ever work the... for it. <laughs> but I feel like that's part of the. I mean, I almost, I almost even want to push back against the idea that they're that they're like dumb, right? Because I feel like it is leaning so hard on this idea of sort of naive innocence, right? Which is like right. And I feel like the reason they get away with it is is that it sort of is distilled down to the big line, right? Like be excellent to each other party on dudes like and that as like the as sort of the 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 essence of that utopian society and vision right like that that's like that that's what it boils down to if you have a you know a whole every a whole group of everybody that can sort of agree with that fundamental principle of being excellent to one another and just partying on right like i, I will also say that it's a bit it's a bit naive on somebody's part, I don't know whose, to pretend that if everybody's just magically sweet to each other, then... I mean, yes, yes, if everybody was magically sweet to each other, everything would work. But, like, how does that happen in the future? Because of their music? That's, it, that's, a, that's a problem for 600 years from now. That's not... You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, this is the world. this is the worldview of the movie. Which, I mean, look, I'm all for everybody being nice to each other. You know, that is a good rule to live by. Absolutely. But when the movie actually says, and then everybody was nice to each other and everything turned out great, it's kind of like, mm, it's like we actually solved a real world problem through Bill and Ted. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. Like, I, it's not a very materialist film. I get what yes, you're saying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. It's very idealistic. But I mean, that's what you should expect. Like, to, to tie this to the film, um, this is very much a great man theory of history. Like, that undergirds everything, literally. Like, Bill and Ted are great men of history. They go back and find great people from history to give the report they on. They find people they were told were great men of, and, and great men and women of history, yes. And, and then. Yeah. I just, right. You don't know what's on that album, man. That could we, it could be Capital Volume Four. You Boy, don't know. I'm glad I'm glad they were not doing U.S. history. By the way, that then this yeah. would be a vomit fest. Um, <laughs> the reactionary Bill and Ted's adventure. I would like to talk about the ones they they pick. Like, how do you feel about the? I'm not going to say portrayals. How do you feel about the characters <laughs> themselves or the the people? That they bring the broad back. stereotypical understandings of these historical figures. I think that they are <laughs> successful in being broad stereotypical representations of those historical figures. A lot of them are I terrible. <laughs> They're terrible we, people. There was a missed opportunity, and I know the original cut of this film was like three hours, so maybe it's in the three-hour cut. Wow. A missed opportunity. I want a scene with Missy and Freud. Oh my god. That well, they a make a joke. Opportunity missed. They make a joke. Now, Missy was in the second one, right? Because I yeah, remember the, there's the, a scene. The gag in the there's a scene where Bill dads. looks down her shirt or whatever. It's the creepiest thing in the whole world. Well, they do that in this one too. But, but the gag in the second one is that she has divorced Ted's dad and married Bill's dad. Yeah, and there's a joke at the end of this one where, like, she shows up at the assembly, and that she says to the teacher, like, "Oh, nice to see you again," or something. Well, there's two. Yeah, there's two of them two jokes like that because when <sighs> so the other gag about about the stepmom is that she was a senior when they were freshmen in... oh she was in school right they were they were okay like i missed that joke contemporaries they were peers at sam Dim sam dimas i thought the joke was she was dating everybody which was just awful but no it's actually not wow. as bad it's still That's pretty bad right. right i think that the implication is that i mean Right. Clearly, she has sort of a predilection for older men, and I think that the implication is that she had some sort of uh, dalliance with this teacher. Teachers. Yes. And dads. Right. <sighs> the yes. women in this movie, man. It's not so good. No, you don't say. She she has an amazing scene where they all show up in her in in I guess Bill's backyard, and she's watering the plants, and. Genghis Khan is there and Abraham and they keep calling like like Ted is like here's Genghis Khanson or whatever and Steve the Steve I don't know Freud you know like and and he introduces all of them and he starts to say Abraham Lincoln obviously and there's a telephone booth behind him she's like okay well see you later and I'm like 
Uh huh. Like, Every, is she dumb it. too? Like, is everybody in San Dimas taking brain poison? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, maybe she's just a very open, accepting person. <laughs> she she takes all of this in stride yeah. very well. We should all be so mellow. Oh when my we are goodness! Presented with otherworldly. <laughs> And then there's the back babes. to the characters. Yeah. Oh right, uh, the, the characters. Right. I think Napoleon is awesome. I think he's actually the most interesting of all the characters they bring back. Okay, I am glad you said that. Really glad because Napoleon was the first one I really wanted to jump into. So do you know that um, Napoleon was originally going to be a different historical figure in this movie? Can you guess which historical figure Napoleon was originally going to be in this movie? Jesus. Adolf Hitler. You're correct. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> in the original. I'm glad that didn't make it out of the uh, editing room. In the original script, Adolf Hitler going down water slides and playing bowling and shit. Um, luckily, somebody was like, let's do Napoleon instead. I think that might go over better. <laughs> and he does seem like kind of a dick, Napoleon. But I think they realized, let's not make him that much of a dick. Let's not make him the worst person. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely a dick. The little brother calls him a dick. Yeah, the the only two. But he has yeah. after they ditch him. <laughs> he has a joy though to him that I think makes him being a dick okay. Like when he discovers like the the water slide, he not only like takes it upon himself to do that on his own, like forces past all these kids, but <laughs> later on he does include the kids too. Like he's like running up the stairs holding this little girl, being like, "Let's go on the slide again." I mean, as cheats at bowling though. As much as I don't want Hitler in this movie, I'm kind of. <laughs> I'm kind of like spellbound by the idea of of Hitler kicking kids off of a water slide so he can go first. Like, I'm glad they didn't end up doing it, but it's just this would be an entirely different movie. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Joan of Arc is the other named female character. <laughs> uh, so I, it's such a weird thing because they didn't know what to do with her besides she's a woman that did physical things. So she's into physical things in the future. Like it's like, they try to find the one note that like, what is this character going to do in the future? What is that one note that they would do? So we have Beethoven playing like four pianos and electronic keyboards, um, which I actually really liked because Again, like I mentioned earlier, this film does this really fun job of um, mashing things up and then letting them like bounce off each other. And the idea of like Beethoven playing music in a with electronic keyboards and that sort of instrumentation, what he would have access to if he was alive today, is so fascinating. I will say it works really well with the <clears throat> the time travel characters because it's like. You know, if you were as miserable as, as these people had, like, you know, you had to deal with all this mis Like, they give Napoleon ice cream, and of course he's like, what the hell is this? And he's like, oh my god, it's amazing. This is the best thing. He's probably thinking, oh, this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. You know what I mean? Like, he just gets to screw around for however many days or hours they, they do all this. So, like, it's it's it kind of works on that level. Like, it, it does make them appear kind of silly or stupid. It's just that they're like, oh, I'm in the magical future world and now I do aerobics. Because especially jo- Joan of Arc feels like <laughs> I almost, I felt like she was walking through the aerobics stage. She's like, oh, it's the patriarchy. They still have this in the future. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I have to, I have to, like, she's experienced like body dysmorphia as she's watching all this. I'm like, oh, God, this is so bad. Um, but then she just starts doing aerobics. So the characters that um, the Western, or the the American figures were actually, I think, the most boring. Yeah, uh, Billy the Kid and Abraham Lincoln were pretty meh. Well, Billy the Kid the last is last guy they get, right? Yeah, because uh, he fires a gun twice in places that now you would be immediately like an active shooter. <laughs> he fires a gun at the ball, and everybody just goes, "Oh, oh no." Ooh, it's scary. It's the 80s, man. You know? Then he fires one at a school presentation in an auditorium. <laughs> all the teachers are like, five seconds later, all the teachers are like, let's 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 see where this goes. 
This seems fine. <laughs> he shot a gun into the ceiling, but uh, and he's dressed as a cowboy. But um, <laughs> but the presentation, right? It's was the presentation. Quite fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that extremely high production values. Right, they have lighting. And I mean, I feel like I think that's well, that's one of the things I like about their. I I don't, I don't know that makes it feel very almost grounded in a weird way. Like their teacher is actually very nice. Like he's very forgiving. He like he understands them. It's very generous. Basically. Nice enough like, that it's like, if a if a an insane man dressed as a cowboy shoots shoots a bullet into the ceiling, he's like, that's okay. We'll just see where it goes. I there's mean, there's like a that's... certain level of naive that I mean in this world's in this movie's world it works, but I'm just saying that the the whole tone of this movie is like everybody's so naive that everybody can be happy and enjoy things and it's kinda like Totally. Yeah, but Totally. I mean look at the other presentations, right? Oh like, you mean know, Donald you Trump's know. presentation? <laughs> That. There's also another woman who, a student, she has a presentation where she talks about Marie Antoinette and That's right. the 80s and let them eat fast food instead of let them eat cake. It's very insightful. <laughs> it was more insightful than Ox. Ox was, it It was literally like a Donald Trump thing. He's like, except he's, <laughs> he's less confident. He's just like, uh, the world is more moderner and it's bigger, but also smaller. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. San Dimas High School Football Rules. Yeah, make America great again. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> scary. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like Socrates gets... Socrates and Abraham Lincoln are the best of the lot. Because everybody just seems to understand Socrates, and he seems to understand everybody else. And that I think he's a good cornerstone for the movie in that, like... Just just be nice and do nice things, and it works out. And, I mean, it's pretty hard to hate Abraham Lincoln. Everybody who even, like, calls him out is just kind of like, oh, I guess he is Abraham Lincoln. This is strange. Like, they just let it go. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I mean, it's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty light movie is the thing. It's, like, it's very, very inconsequential, right? It's not, like, asking much of you emotionally really yeah they don't go to hell or anything <laughs> no it's <laughs> the second one right. yeah right with the with the bad guy from die hard 2 oh i forgot about that yeah because that's death in the second yeah. one yeah <laughs> uh william sadler by the way will be will be back for the upcoming bill and ted movie <laughs> <laughs> um i i love william sadler so that's, yeah that's cool other characters I enjoyed was uh, Bill, uh, sorry, Ted's dad being a perfect pastiche of like right wing Americans in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, he's a perfect Like cop. he has the NRA jacket, he's a cop. Yeah. It's- he's sending his son to the army. It was, in a way, surprising, a surprising political statement from a film that like its politics are pretty amorphous or like irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it makes it at least clear that. The notion of being excellent to each other essentially stands in opposition to Reagan dad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like he's not a villain, but he's definitely an antagonist right. to them accomplishing uh, their story. Yeah. And he's, he's shitty to Bill's dad too, for some oh, reason. Yeah. And Bill's just like, eh, what are, Bill's dad's like, whatever. I don't even know if Bill's dad is named. He's, maybe it's Bill's dad in the credits. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, there's a weird thing where, like, I mean, they're nice to everybody. I don't know. They seem to be nice to everybody, but the the way women are treated in this movie is so weird. The food court scene in, in particular is, like, extra, like, yeesh. What's the deal with that? With, you mean with Billy the Kid and Socrates? Yeah, Billy the Kid hitting on, like... Those teenagers? High school girls. <laughs> oh, and then there's Genghis Khan. Well, I mean, Genghis Khan, I guess, makes sense, but I was like, oh, do I really need to see this? Um, when, you mean when they grab him? When he's like... Yeah. With and there's like and drinking wine and stuff. a girl that looks underage. He and just grabs unhappy. her and starts kissing her. And it's like, oh, geez, are we doing this? And then <laughs> luckily they're like, haha, we're stealing Genghis Khan. I guess they do save that girl. They, <laughs> they definitely do. From dealing with him. But it's like... I think the most realized female character in this film 
is probably the friend of the younger brother. Like she has the most agency. She doesn't have say, a name of all the women. <laughs> she doesn't. Have, she doesn't have a name. So maybe not developed, but she just has agency in the film. Like she makes fun of Napoleon in a way that uh, Missy just kind of go along, goes along with everything, and the babes have absolutely zero choice when they're in the mid uh, middle ages. Yeah. To be fair, Chris Chris said that like off off the show that that nobody really has agency in this film outside of like a select few, like even the, the historical I mean, characters or cardboard cutouts. So it's not like. I don't know. It's it's more sense, just no the way does. Bill and Ted react to women, and the the story, like the way all the men react to the women. It's like, uh, it's an '80s thing that it was very of its time. Yeah, and the F slur doesn't help. <laughs> they <laughs> that throw that out, and good. it's the most uncomfortable thing for a good five seconds. And it's like, okay, they moved on, but it does feel out of place. Weirdly, it's just a joke. Yeah, that's that's but why that... it doesn't land. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you t- like, Andrew talked about the sort of the innocence of the film, and it feels like there's nothing forbidden between them. Like, right. they are just, like, completely vulnerable, they're completely open, they have no filter whatsoever. And so, the use of that slur, which is, you know, usually in this kind of situation in the film, they hug each other, they use the F word, a homophobic slur, to each other that sort of, like, male distancing is actually complete. I think what the joke doesn't land is because it's completely contradictory right. to who they are as characters up until that point. Right. Like, right. they don't have a filter. They would just say, I love you, man, and that's that's exactly. it. There's no overtone to it. There's no concern. It's just they exist as they are, and so to have this, like, thing where, like, masculinity, this outside social force jumps in and mediates between them yeah. is weird because it's not who they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's bummer they, they repeat that joke in the second one, too. Yeah. Or I guess the evil robot versions of them do it. Just Yeah, and I feel like that's also kind of It's kind of like why they're not stoners. It just like they they're, they're basically kids, like 6-year-olds or something. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's sort of what I you know, when I said sort of at the beginning that it's like you know, it has many of those sort of very typical signifiers of 80s movies, right? With like, oh, the babes, but like is weirdly sort of chased. Like you get the impression that, you know, even if they could land a date with these historical babes, they wouldn't really be sure what to do with them. Exactly. That was apparently in the original you know I mean? script or in the that original they like, cut that they go really... to the prom. Oh, funny. And then they cut it out, <laughs> um, which I mean... They also, so that's another thing actually with the way this movie was cut or reconfigured was like, because I, I always watch the end of this movie, I especially the, the end of the second movie, Bogus Journey, and I'm like, this is so ludicrous. Like, I mean, I know it's a, it's a silly comedy, but like, they have lighting now and they, they talked, they had an entire like psychological session with Sigmund Freud. I don't even know how long that would take. Like, you'd think everybody in the crowd would be like, oh my god, this is the longest freaking presentation. Um, but then apparently in the original version of the script, they just go in the classroom and all the historical figures just do it on a like blackboard. And it's the most boring thing. <laughs> and they were like, why would anybody want to watch that though? So like, okay, let's do it in the auditorium and make it flashy and cool. So, you know, well, it, it also works for them as, you know, future rock stars, though. Yeah, right. Like, that is the ideal performance venue for them. It, it aligns better, I think, with the overall themes of the film and the film sort of being an homage to hair bands and things like that of the 80s. Like, you you don't have the climax of this film in that classroom. You have it in an auditorium because that's who Bill and Ted are. They're entertainers. Right. It is sort of funny that it leads to, like... <laughs> I guess a school in Sam I mean at Sandy Miss High School they have an all school assembly when seniors are giving their history reports, I guess. Uh well it's the culmination of four years of high yeah, school. Actually, in, yeah, actually in my high school one history class. In my high school they did have everybody do a senior project where you had to get up in front of everybody and do like a presentation. Well, and I actually like hundreds and hundreds of people? Yeah, that's wow. legit why I got my GED. Like, I legit was like, I am not doing that. And they were like, well, you have to do it. And I said, like, what if I have, like, anxiety? Like, I still have to do it. So it's like, well, I'll just 
go get my diploma then. Thank you. <laughs> um, I didn't know that you went to San Dimas High School. That's I did. Neat. Yeah. California boy. <laughs> um, so, like, with Keanu, I mean, I kind of like Alex Winter. Is that, that's his name, right? Yeah. See, I mean, he's not a household name. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like him, and it, it, it's kind of weird how Keanu took off more. Has Keanu been in, like, a lot of... I, I can't really think of comedies that he was in after this. I mean, when he was a kid, he definitely... Like, Parenthood is another sort of... I mean, that's, I guess, sort of a dramedy, but... Um... but like, he definitely hasn't been in any famous, like, big... Like, Keanu Reeves in this comedy things that I can think of. And I think he's actually, like... I think he's, like really good in this movie is like a comedic actor but totally. like he just immediately went to drama i mean he's i mean we could i imagine <laughs> if you're in keanu's seat and you know he was the first one casted for this film so like the the film they built their casting around him like he was the centerpiece for this film i imagine if i'm in his shoes thinking career-wise i want to avoid roles like this at, afterwards because you'd be very easy, easily pigeonholed. Into, oh, he said as much, actually. You know, Ted Theodore Logan for the rest of your life, like. Yeah, he said he like, had nightmares about that, about being. This is the guy that played Ted Theodore Logan. Like that's his thing. Yep. Um, which is like, even now, like yeah. you, you say, "Whoa," you know, that's that's Neo. That's that's a that's you know, uh, Ted Theodore Logan all over again. Like anytime he's like, "Whoa." Like, well, that's Keanu I, Reeves. Like, that's like that's like one of the iconic things. If you want to do an impression of like Keanu Reeves, you have to do the. Whoa. I mean, I love Keanu, <laughs> but I would kind of argue that that's part of his acting technique. He just comes across that. Like, I mean, the the naive. Yeah, sort of. like in Dracula, for example. Like, he's definitely I doing that. That's why I've always contended that I, I feel like he's perfect casting for Jonathan Harker, honestly. Because, like, you read that book, and that guy is just the most hapless dum-dum ever. Yeah, but I kind of... This, well, guy's, I mean, you, this guy's licking his lips, right? and he has very sharp teeth, and he keeps looking at me. I don't understand, I don't understand. why. You're, like, Whoa. riding along in a carriage in the dark, and you never get to talk to the driver. There's, like, red eyes all over the place, and you're just kind of like, I don't know, you're stopping, and people are telling you how scary this castle is, and he's just kind of like, oh, neat. Wow, <laughs> this that's is weird. Just, they just don't journaling. think I'm going to die at that castle. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> that's how they respond to the castle in this movie. They're just like, yeah, let's go to the castle. Cool. I mean, you know, like I said, it's good casting. But I think that he, but he also was, like, a little famous already, I feel like, by the time Bill and Ted... Like, that's why you could, like, use him to get a movie made. Like, I don't know. He had, well, so, like, uh, River's Edge was not a huge movie, but, like, was, was is a really solid 80s or teen thriller. He was in that, like, really high-profile Dangerous Liaisons with Malkovich, and, like, that came out the year before Bill and Ted. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So he was, like, kind of already, like, a commodity in Hollywood. Apparently, Polly Shore and Brendan Fraser applied for, or tried out for both of those parts in this movie. Wow. Which, if this was like Encino Man, the original, I can't even imagine. Like, <laughs> like if Polly Shore had fiction. Keanu Reeves' career, that's a baffling oh. al- alternate universe. Horrifying. Yeah. Can we can I mean, we try to drag the- Katie into this conversation and ask what her favorite Keanu Reeves movie is? <laughs> Do you have one? Um, I don't. I don't know. Actually, I was thought. Sorry, I thought y'all were gonna like. I was hoping for a like funny description uh, of the movie since I didn't Great. watch it. Um, but that's okay. We can give you a funny description. It's fine. Uh. <laughs> uh <laughs> I mean, the problem is that the premise is actually very, very simple. It's and short. pretty simple. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. It's it's a bunch of like sight gags. Imagine if there's a Greek philosopher in a mall. Right. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, like, imagine if dust in the wind at him. Imagine if Billy Kid is in a food court hitting on teenagers. Uh prefer not to. <laughs> well, you might not like this movie. No, I mean, uh what else happens? Uh 
what are the other gags? Don't they have a montage where they clean the house? Yes, that this is, is when, like, they, when they land in the backyard and the stepmom... Missy puts them to work. Right, says you can't, like, yes, you can go save the day, but you gotta do your chores first. So then they all they all help him out. Yeah, Billy the Kid puts the food that's on the dishes in the cupboard. He just slides it in the cupboard, and he's like, oh, the dish is clean now. Well, you know, in the 19th century, food was not very scarce. You couldn't just be throwing it away all over the place. <laughs> Billy's going to wait like six months, put some salt on it, and hope he'll oh, die. So the threshold for rotten food, I think, was much higher in the 1800s. There's just there's no way around it. Uh, Napoleon cheats at bowling. And then he, like, slides himself over the bowling line and yells shit a bunch of times. I mean, I can get behind that. In French. That's <laughs> one of the better scenes, honestly. Uh, I know, but that's the problem is that it's just not that it's just not a very complicated. It's not like intricate. Honestly, my favorite part of this movie is when they break them all out of prison because it's so it's so ludicrous at all of the time. I kind of just want to explain what tr- like go through what happens and try to oh, even yeah. understand so, it. I feel like y'all are like missing some good stuff that you could again. You're explaining this movie to someone who's never seen it, who's never gone to see it. Sounds like sure. you already described teenage <laughs> slice of life. Uh, sci-fi tropes, right? Yes. Um, and now there's a fucking heist. Like, <laughs> I don't know. A heist? They was break, there a heist? Break them oh, out of with prison. The, the with prison. Them out. Okay. That's a heist. Yeah, I feel like this is like the climax of the movie. Well, I mean, I guess the presentation is the right. This is the this is like the third act. But it's like, the best part. Sort of right. Right. So this they, is where all the time right. travel stuff pays off. They all went to the mall. Because Bill was like, I need to show <laughs> them it was the, the mall. The 80s. Well, yes, because first of all, it's the 80s. Go. But also, Bill yeah. is like, I need to show them the mall. I don't know why. Well, that's the plot of the movie. The, the, the assignment. Okay. So, the <laughs> assignment that they've been asked to complete is a presentation about what historical figure X would think about San Dimas today in 1988 or whatever, which is an incredibly stupid assignment for a high school. It is really on. dumb. <laughs> But that is the assignment, and so when they finally, re- you know, when they finally get back to the present and need to, uh, you know, they remember that this is the movie sort of remembers that this is what the plot actually is. That's their, that's their. I mean, given the circumstances, frankly, very sure. good idea to try to get some insight from these historical figures about what the '80s are like. Right. So when they all go to the mall, they all start getting into wacky hijinks, which means Billy the Kid and Socrates hit on younger girls and then um at the food court yes yeah. and then genghis khan finds a baseball bat in a sporting goods store and starts going ham on a mannequin skateboard and a skateboard and then he has a skateboard and he flips over a mall cop hell yeah this <laughs> yeah awesome. see it's great and then uh beef oven goes to like one of those steinway piano sorry places. i thought you said beef oven at first that's how they that's say essentially it. what he said yeah. okay. beef oven so the, he goes to the steinway <laughs> piano place and starts playing since and he's playing like four at a time and then um god who else oh joan of arc does all oh, she like, does exercise yeah she just like kicks the aerobics thing. lady off a thing and starts going like doing flash dance stuff and then um God, who am I Abraham missing? Lincoln goes to a photo booth place. Like a, his only little scene is like at the end of the photo session, and then the, he is arguing with the guy who wants. He's like, "Okay, give me the stupid hat and beard back," and tries to like pull the beard off his face. He's like, but "I he am Abraham Lincoln," and he's like, like "Okay, the... buddy." And anyway, all the mall cops show up, and they're like, "Aha, you are creating badness in the mall." So then they all get arrested and go to prison. I I guess. Which uh, maybe in the eighties that was I don't know maybe it's that like the teen version of the drunk tank you know what I mean like sure they're not really gonna go to prison but so you know they're in hold up yes what I was just clarifying I was clarifying. oh I thought you oh you said hold up I thought you meant like <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep that in so anyway uh, Ted's dad Keanu's dad is a cop. And he has been missing his keys, which I guess are to the prison. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I guess just like on his car keys, he also has the keys to all of the cells <laughs> in the jail. That he, he's been missing the them since the start station. of the movie. 
So yeah. Bill and Ted are like, oh no, we have to break them out of prison. What are we going to do? And um, so they try to, like, Ted tries to go in the prison. He's like, dad, dad, my friends are in. He's like, you're failing and you're, I'm putting you in military school and get out of here. And so that doesn't work. So then they go outside and they're like, oh man, if we just had the keys, that would solve this whole situation. And then they're like, well, wait a minute, after the presentation, we'll just go back in time, and we'll put the keys somewhere we'll remember, like right behind the sign at the police station. And then they just walk over there, and they're already there, because they already did it. And they're like, whoa, we did it. And so then they go inside, and they're like, oh, we need a distraction, though. And he's like, oh, I'll just put a distraction, which is a tape recorder with their voices saying, Dad, come over here. And then he does it. Like, it just all happens in one scene, though. There's no them doing it. Right. We never jump. I mean, I I sort of wish that every time travel movie was this brave with its premise <laughs> and like really was sort of like you know what like if we can travel through time we can just make like we can just do whatever we don't have to do it now like yeah then they go into the jail cells well they they read a note from themselves that says to duck so they don't get seen I find it hard to believe they thought of, <laughs> they remembered all this but they did and then they go into the jail cells they break well presumably they got caught before. I don't know. I don't think that it's like Edge of it's Tomorrow not where like they get that. like reboots. They they get to like they just remembered iterate. that they had to duck the first time, right. which is so confusing. But anyway, so then they go into the jail cells. They break everybody out of the jail cells and then have them go out a window that I thought had bars on it, but I guess it didn't. And then. Ted's dad shows up and he's like, what are you doing? And Ted's like, oh, oh, remember the trash can? And then the trash can falls on his dad. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. And it's like, it, it's like a time travel Rube Goldberg machine. Like, just so many events that they had to have planned out and somehow executed. I, I prefer to just think Rufus did it. It makes it easier. <laughs> But that's, like, the best part of the movie to me, I think. The, the the presentation is, like, the bogus journey presentation. They all just show yeah. up and go, like, aha, it is Napoleon. And then he shows a map, and then they go, yes. Woo. Everybody loves it for some reason. There's, there's some value to having Abraham Lincoln be the one to ultimately deliver the, the be excellent to each other. Sure. Address, right? It's like they're retroactively integrating their ideology into American history. <laughs> it's revisionist sort of. history. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they maybe they got him before the Emancipation Proclamation, and that's what just that's why he decided to do it. He was like, you know what? We oh should, my we just, god! We need to be, be excellent to Hold each other. Hold on. Did they go like all throughout? <laughs> okay, wait. Hold on. So if, yep. if so, for example, I gave the example <laughs> that they never Rufus never introduces himself, right? So yep. it was a predeterministic thing that Bill and Ted did it. Correct. So are we now like presupposing that like Bill and Ted ended American slavery and all kinds of other things by going back in time? Cool. And I mean, the real sequel for this movie is basically like a funnier version of Forrest Gump, where we're going back, oh. and seeing all the ways in which they have changed history as a result of yanking them out. I even briefly, I would pay to see that movie. <laughs> I really would. I mean, you might be able to see it in theaters, like what? I don't know I what they're doing, but that's gonna be their. It's gonna be their daughters. That's right. That's right. Oh, I don't know how to feel about that. Who's? I am quite company certain that the writers and their views on how to depict women in film have evolved a little bit in the last thirty years. Who Who's making the movie? Like, is it a Disney movie? Uh. Please, God, no. Because <laughs> that sounds like a Disney thing. Um, but maybe it'll be nice. I don't know. Uh, Alex Winters and Keanu Reeves made an announcement uh, a few months ago saying that they were finally doing it after, you know, years of fan requests. By made it, do you mean, like, um, wrote it and... No, I mean, it is. I think that it is the original filmmakers, and they have been trying to get it made. I think Alex Winter in particular for, like, 15-plus okay. years. Well... You know, maybe it's like that George Miller thing. Maybe you think this is going to be the Mad Max Fury Road of, of Bill and Ted. <laughs> of Bill and Ted. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm trying to be as positive as as Bill Preston. <laughs> that's that's pretty positive. I would be very very surprised if it was that. 
that widely regarded as fantastic. But I don't know. Katie, does it sound like you want to watch the movie now? Now that we've explained everything that happens? <laughs> no, good. <laughs> I like the second uh, one because there was hell and death was there. I was a goth at yeah. a very young age. I remember and the Easter that in like Bunny. 90-something. The Easter bunnies. Yeah, the Easter was like horror. Like it was like the only thing that I was allowed yeah. to see. Like the second one was like my parents were the ones who showed that to me like several times. My dad loved that movie, um, so I, I remember specifically. I'm like hell rules as like a child. Yeah, that trippy sequence with the with the rabbit is really mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Yeah, it's great. I love it because my parents are like, "Are you ever gonna grow out of this face?" I'm like, "It's been 35 years, probably not." <laughs> Oh my um, god. Plus space aliens, right? Yeah. They aliens, right? Station. Oh. Space aliens. Oh yeah. Fuck. The 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 fuck merge aliens who are in heaven. <laughs> which was like that opened up a lot of questions for me as a child. I'm like what who was raised like very staunchly Catholic. So. I, hate, I hate station so much. <laughs> I love it. I fucking Aww. love station. Station rules. Totally. Death death it's between death and station for like most like Mac and me character in Bill and Ted too. <laughs> well, that's I feel like not a very fair way to judge it because if you are looking for characters in that movie that are like on a Mac and me scale, there's sort of no other choice, right? Well, this They're, is like, getting into a whole nother discussion, though. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, despite Katie not being interested in the film, <laughs> I would recommend this film. I think it's a very fun, charming movie. I think. I would definitely, it's, like I said, the the home for bookstore is like really, it takes you out of the film in a really weird way uh, now, and probably I should have back then, but um, <laughs> it's it it's a really th- helpful thing to understand, particularly if you're a big Keanu Reeves fan, uh, this is, uh, this is a, a cornerstone of, I think, his acting career. Um, I think the fact that he's willing to return to it now is actually a real big sign of maturity for him that he just feels confident enough in his own ability. Like I've done it. I've achieved what I want to do and I can go back and have fun in the same way again without worrying about it, like damaging his career. Yeah. Um, I'd recommend it's, it's a real easy watch despite the, the stuff I complain about. Like, I mean, the way it treats women is, is bad, but it's just kind of like the movie is so, like you said, doe eyed and, I don't know. It's it's like a kids movie practically. I think it. I mean, essentially, there's no reason it couldn't be a kids movie, um, other than the homophobia and the way it treats women. And yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like, minor, minor it's like kids wrote it. Like, it's just so. I mean, well, right. I mean, I've, I'm not the type to to say don't watch a movie because it's got the F slur in it and one really dumb gag and and it's. I mean, there's the other. Okay, like, do I appreciate how it treats women? Absolutely not, in multiple occasions. But like, it's not like openly oppressive. It's just kind of boneheaded. It's like Beavis and Butthead. That's that's literally actually what it is. I mean, they're not as crude as Beavis and Butthead, but that's what it is. And I mean, I can watch Beavis and Butthead without being like, I can't watch this because they treat women like crap. It's like, well, they're stupid. Like. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> is it problematic? Yes, but it it's a very easy watch. It's like an hour and a half. I kind of have a soft spot for like for like naive dumb comedy as well. Like actors saying really ridiculous, stupid things to to elicit a laugh. I kind of like that. the The fact that it is a neat hour and a half is it definitely a mark in its favor in terms of like. <laughs> Uh, a very economical, enjoyable comedy. Yeah, I love this movie. It's it's very silly, but I think I hate everything. But I always recommend it anyway, ah, except for Serenity. Well, no, I did recommend that. Oh man, twenty twelve. I didn't recommend that. Was that was a mistake. I'm an ass. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, uh, if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing, where would they find that information? Uh, I guess you could go to my Twitter, which I don't post on much, but my uh, handle is you did so great. That's it. You did so great. 
And I believe you said you had a podcast in the past. We, I have some some friends that I would do a podcast about uh, mental health and sort of other lefty things and how they sort of intersect. We have not updated in a while because we're all depressed and crazy, but you know. <laughs> extended hiatus. Yes, yes, an extended hiatus. Uh, a lot so of people what's are the moving. Called? A lot of people. It's called Naughty by Nurture, and it's okay. pretty good. People say and you follow them at Naughty by Nurture. No, I think actually you follow us at NBNCast, but if you track oh, okay, down my Twitter, mind. then you can find a link to there you podcast. Go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And Bert and Katie? Uh, I'm at Refreshing Time. I literally just forgot what I was even on Twitter as. Uh, it's me complaining, as always. So don't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm at Anime Weed Fart 69. I feel like we should golf oh clap God, every so time. Good. It's so good. How do you guys not laugh every single time? They we kind of do. I feel like we need to edit it's in so applause good. every time. Like, just raucous applause. I'm braver than the it's troops not... trinketing up here yeah. and saying with a straight face at Anime Weed Fart 69 on a weekly basis. <laughs> I think it's just gotta be once the once the Patreon takes off, you gotta get one of the like morning drive time soundboards for that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, Spring. Maybe <laughs> 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 fart. I'm telling Damn, you, that's son, where'd you find this? <laughs> right. Big production about right? Clips of like Stern, all kinds of weird old movies. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I just think that would mesh with your style really well. Just the whole <laughs> the Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard. Yeah, yeah. Come on, that's, that's classic stuff. That's classic early internet stuff. <laughs> is anime? What did your father want to see? Anime? What did your father want to see? You can follow me at a very big bear, uh, and you can follow us, our podcast. Um, at Second Star Cast and follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and wherever else you get your podcasts, including Spotify. Uh, next week, we'll be discussing the film Annihilation. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good week.